you will you get everything i mean from the hair you make um you make brushes you know um heparin comes from pigs for human utilization uh in transplants you'd have um uh, the the valves well, the heart valves and, and those things hi this is jack liebig baseball player and second grader from st louis missouri and you are listening to the vance crow podcast Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, we talk to a swine veterinarian, Marcio Gonzalez. He's an interesting character. He ran a virtual conference on swine, and he invited me to come on and do it in my virtual reality headset. So people saw me as an avatar inside of this galaxy. He's one of those guys that actually loves pushing the envelope. And what you'll see is, as we begin this conversation... We talk a little bit about pigs and where they come from and how they're like humans, that kind of thing. But eventually we get to his real passion, which is the productivity and how to improve your efficiency at running a business, getting more out of your time, and really just making a business run, how to work with your employees. This is a fun conversation. I really had no idea where it was going to go, but it was one of those ones that I'm really glad we were able to do. So I'm glad you could be here. If uh, you're interested, we talk a little bit about some of the talks that I give. And if your organization is interested in doing that virtually, or I am actually doing some traveling starting in the new year, then you can head to my website, vancecrow.com, to learn more about the types of talks I give and to contact me to figure out if I'm a good speaker for your stuff. Until then, we're going to head over to this conversation with Marcio. Thanks so much for joining. I'm glad you're here. Dr. Marcio Gonzalez, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Vince. It's great to, to be here. Really appreciate that. You're an interesting character. You are a veterinarian that uh, grew up in Brazil, and you focus on pigs. And this is like a crazy thing. I was thinking about this today on my run. Pigs, historically, in the Bible, in all of the writings, in the way you talk about them, are considered the lowest of all of the animals. It's something, you know, to be a swine is to be somebody that's down in the muck. Yeah. What in the world made somebody like you decide, not only am I going to go become a veterinarian, but I'm going to focus on pigs? Pigs. Yeah, you know, after I went to vet school there in Brazil, initially I was thinking about dogs and cats and... and uh, but learning about pigs, I went to the pig group there, the pig department, and those folks were running a very tight uh, group of people, you know. Uh, both of the professors, they had a PhD in Germany, and they were Germans, uh, Brazilian with the German uh, heritage. So very um, well run. And I like that. I like, you know, efficiency and, and discipline and that kind of stuff. So that was a good start there. And then I started learning and I have this little theory, which is a lot of people hate math or hate stats. It's just because you don't know it. Once you learn something, you start liking it. It's just, I think it's a little bit of a, you know, a self, uh, we try to be um, safe, I guess, on things that we don't know. But then I learned and went to a bunch of uh, internships every summer and winter. And then I would go and first time I went, to a small producer, I, I found one or two things that I thought I could help. And then um, you start learning, learning, learning. And, and then I think it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, you just go like that. But also the populational aspect, Vince, um, the business side of things. So 
those things together really drove it. You're uh, an interesting character because you were in the regular swine industry. You were uh, part of the nutrition science. You were t- trying to help people say, hey, what is it that you need to feed your pigs to make them grow big and, and healthy? But then you left it and you're now running a business where you're where uh, like, well, why don't you tell me about Swine It? Yeah, so Swine It, we launched uh, about a year and a half ago now. Is um, uh, We have a podcast about, about uh, pig production. Uh, where I interview, you know, try to find the, those brightest people around the globe when it comes to pigs. Then we, we create a web conference and we have a few other different business models as well. Um, so it's been fun. Uh, the first podcast I created about eight years ago, Vince, in Brazil, uh, in Portuguese. Uh, so it's still running, you know, uh, but it's been a joy. Man, eight years ago, uh, the podcasting world was so much smaller than it is now. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I, I, I did an internship in, in the US and and I learned about a podcast about pigs. It's called Swinecast and it's running now for 15 years. It's crazy to think that, right? And I, was, I went to Brazil and I was like, man, we need that. And, and I wish I was driving to farms. So I was like, we need something like that, you know? So... Tell me about pigs, man. What is it that you think is interesting about them? Why why have they gotten the low status, but everybody loves bacon, so they have a high status? What is it that makes people so... What, yeah, what is it about pigs that you find interesting? Yeah, I think it goes back to some of the diseases there was in the past. You know, if you didn't cook the meat very well, you could get, you know, neurocystisarcosis or, or those sorts of things, you know, and... um. And as you know, pigs used to be in the mud and, uh, you know, just look dirty. Now they look clean, right? And, and a lot of science behind it. And uh, yeah, I mean, pigs today, there's a book, I forgot the name right now, but it's a book that talks about everything that, that you get out of the, out of the pig. And, and, and virtually is, is literally ev- everything with the exception of the uh, scream, scream if you, you know, if their voice, if you will, you get everything. I mean, from the hair, you make, um, you make brushes, you know, um, heparin comes from pigs for human utilization. Uh, in transplants, you'd have um, uh, the, the valves, uh, the heart valves and, and those things. So it's, uh, it's amazing. And funny enough, is one of the animals most similar to um to humans it's surprising but but it is the closest one of the closest yeah i've heard that before why is that because i mean i know that they do transplants and things like that from pigs so why is it that we consider pigs the closest to humans i think it's just from the physiology you know the it's i don't know why you know they don't look similar to us but from when you when you look at the physiology and the biology of the pig is similar good question i wouldn't know why right it's an interesting one so you uh you have an exceptional amount of discipline like when i look at your business model when i see the things that you've put together in a short amount of time tell me a a little bit about the the way you think about setting up a business and making it run Hmm. you know it's it's interesting one uh there's there is um there is a personality task called uh strength finder i don't know if you've done that one I, I love that, right? And uh, uh, for me, achiever came as number one, came as number one, and then uh, I think I had analytical comp- competition focus and um, 
something else. But it's good that that I want to always get things done, but it we can also maybe dive in later into the, the bad side of it can be bad too, right? But for the business, we uh, overall we just want to keep growing and, and grow fast if as fast as we can, you know. Um I'm trying to think where where do you want to go on that that route there, Vance? Well, because you set things up and you kind of just make them run. You have very like systems and you have yeah. like processes. And you, like every time I talk with you, you're like, hey, this is the thing I'm working on and this is how we're moving it forward. Yeah. Yeah. We have weekly meetings and, and I have a team. I have one person full time now, uh, three or four people now part time. Another one full time. Um, um, yeah like having those weekly meetings and everyone has their own tasks and, and hopefully because a business is, is arrows, right? Everyone is an arrow. As long as all the arrows are going the right direction, it's, it's the ultimate goal. Um, sometimes it doesn't feel like, like we're all going the right dire- the, the same direction, but um, two books that really shaped my thinking is one is called traction by Gino Wickman. I want to say is his last name. And the other one is uh, the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Uh, Thinking about the business as the product, not the product as the product. It's huge. And I think, and that's what also Michael Gerber reports, which is 90% of the small business fail is because you have this person that's the technician that you want to be doing all the work and and it burns, you know, it, uh, you burn out. And, uh, and he talks about that if, if the business doesn't run without you, you have a job, not a business, and that's the worst job in the world because you're working for a lunatic. So, you know. So tell me about, what was the, the traction? Tell me about that book. I've never heard of that one. The E-Myth is one that's very popular. Everybody knows that one that's in business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard about that one too. And you know, everyone's busy, don't have time. But you heard it once, and you heard it again. And so I read it, read it again. And now that's the one book that the image is the one book I have in my car to give to people. Right? Um, traction is um, great. It's similar concept about running. It's it's operations, like how to run the business. So it goes back to the vision, the the KPIs, and um, uh, the people. Um, it's very detailed when it comes to having that weekly meeting. What's the agenda of the weekly meeting? So we basically, we normally start with uh, good news. Everyone say, hey, something good about the business and personal. It's good. It creates a good env- environment in the, in, the, in the discussion because everyone talks, which is great. And also you learn about everyone on the personal side, you know, and then goes into the... Um, issues, the KPIs, the we do the, everyone goes over their own tasks. And then at the end, you rate the meeting. Oh, give it, give it a rating. Oh, it's seven, eight. Okay. Why? Right. Uh, hardly will be a 10, but that's the go, but a seven or eight. Okay. Well, we started late or whatever else. So you're always, and you create that sense of accountability and, and now everyone knows the, the expectations. Right. So I, I like that. And how long did it take you to get buy-in from the other people that you're working with to to start to do meetings in that way? It didn't take uh, didn't take a whole lot. Uh, in the beginning, yeah, the first few weeks is a little awkward uh, when you do that personal and 
note, but um, yeah, it doesn't talk a whole whole lot. You know, I'd, I we I don't like meetings either, even though I have more than more than I'd like to. But a weekly meeting on the business, a one hour, I think it's crucial. You know, I I know lots of people that oh I we don't I don't need a meeting because we talk every day. That's terrible, man. Because then you never stop and think you you don't have not necessarily the big picture, but the intermediate picture. It's where that one hour a week, you know. Yeah, I think that that's uh, an easy trap to fall into, right? Particularly now because we have things like Slack and uh, you're able to connect with people that you can be like, hey, we're talking all the time. But if you don't actually sit down and say, what is it that we're trying to accomplish here? Where are we going? And and people surprisingly want a lot more feedback than you might imagine, right? So they want to know, am I doing well or not? And I found that people are really comfortable being told they're not doing well as long as they've got a path to be able to start doing well. I love it. Yes. And that's been one of my frustrations over the years. I remember my first job in Brazil and I was like three months in, I was like, how can I get, what can I do to get better? And um, the answer was normally like, no, you're doing fine. I'm like, really? So that's, and I know it goes back to personality that's a little bit of my personality too i think you know it's hard to generalize but um when you are trying to get better you know elon musk always talk about having negative feedback and that's really the only way that you can get better you know where do you get your negative feedback right now um i i try to ask people you know what can we do better what can we do better and it's tough um because a lot of times it's uh, a lot of times it's tough to get some of the negative feedback, right? But it's it's good. I love it. You know, you and I were just talking about the the camera here. You know, how to make it better, and that's great. You know, yeah. I I so I think that for a very long time I was one of those people that really liked to tell people like, hey, you're doing great. Hey, this is so exciting. And then I had a mentor that, uh, you know, I, I remember distinctly one time I had met with him at night and then the next day he called me up and he said, Vance, three things. Um, first, uh, if you're going to show up at my house you know, on Sunday night, I, you need to start dressing better. Do you own a suit? And I had been like, no, I, I don't wow. own a suit. And he was like, well, you need to get one. And so I'll teach you how to do it. So bring your checkbook. Come over here. We're going to go get one. Then he, then he asked me some question uh, uh, and making reference to something that I had said about in the news. So he wanted me to send him an article. So it proved to me he was listening to me. And then the third thing he said is, are you putting on weight? And I had to be like, uh, yeah, you know, I guess uh -huh. I am. And it was one of those moments where at first I felt horrible about this, right? He, he says, I don't dress well and mm -hmm. that I'm putting on weight. But then I look around and I'm like, wait a second. Why didn't anybody else tell me this, right? Like, uh -huh. and if you don't have somebody around you willing to tell you those things, then you just don't know. So I come in with the assumption that once I've started to build rapport with somebody, yeah. if I see something that I think they would want to change if they knew that they that, that they were doing it incorrectly, I just try and I put it there. And then if they don't accept it or it causes consternation, then I back way off. But it has yeah. really increased the velocity with which I can build friendships because you find out that most people don't give negative feedback. I love it. That's exactly right. You know, um, yeah, I love it. I, I just love that. The only way we can keep improving, right? Um, yeah, and then 
I want to get your insights on the bad side of being a, you may want to call type A personality or a driver or whatever. I, I, I mean, I consider myself one of those and, and I consider myself one of those as well based on, you know, personality tests and whatever else. It's a tough one, man. Sometimes it's, um, it's almost like you have a monster inside your head and then it's 12 a.m. trying to go to bed. Last night, I was just writing some stuff on my, on my platform there with my, where we keep our tasks and ideas. But it's great, you know, it's great because you keep evolving the business, but man, it's, you got tired, you know? Yeah, I think there was something, I was actually thinking about this today, running really helps me. And I have never been like one of those people where I'm like, oh, I just love my run. The only mm -hmm. thing I love about my run is finishing it. But <laughs> while I'm doing it, it, it allows me to get outside of my own normal thoughts and, and pop out. And one of the things that I realize is, my personality type, it is very easy to make observations about what other people are doing wrong. And if mm -hmm. I put that level of reflection on myself, mm -hmm. then I move forward a lot faster. But it it's so much easier for me to be focused on what other people aren't doing to keep up with how fast and how far I'm going. Mm -hmm. So I really try and focus um, as best I can to be like, for everything I'm dishing out, like, am I taking it? And I think that that causes uh, quite a bit of uh, internal angst. So I, I think that maybe that knob is turned up too high all the time, but I, uh -huh. I don't know. I love it. Yeah, I can see that. And a lot of times, you know, um, you, you have friends and, and uh, you, sometimes I feel that, that you want to help some of the friends on some areas that, you know, you learn from them and you want to help in a different area and, Sometimes I, you know, I got a little frustrated when you're, you're trying to to help. And like you said, if the person doesn't want to help, then probably should be focusing on yourself and, and trying to improve yourself a little more. There is this crazy YouTuber that people should look up, but he's uh, just he's just just giant of a man. His name's Wes Watson. He's got huge arms and tattoos all over his body. He was in prison. I don't I don't think he was. I think he was like a bad dude for uh -huh. a really long time. But one of the things that he said that really uh, struck me was um, he was saying, hey, Wes, uh, he was saying that he somebody had asked him a question. Hey, Wes, uh, why is it that I can't get my nephews to follow what I'm telling them to do? Da, 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 da. And he says, well, people don't listen to you if they don't want to be like you. And that was like, a, a, you know, a nail to my heart, right? Because that yeah. is one of those things that if people aren't asking for your advice or they aren't responding really positively to your feedback, right. then you need to take a look at yourself and say, well, you know, maybe I'm not right now em um, emulating a person that they want to be. And yeah. that's when you got to be like, all right, well, what do I have to do to be somebody that's worthy of being admired so that they would want to listen? I love it. That's that's powerful right there. I love it a lot. I like it. Yeah. You're such a, like a gentle talker. So like having the bounce back and forth, are you like this with your business meetings? No, I'm intense. I'm fairly intense. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, very intense. So I mean, intense. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, I, tr I try to be respectful and but we, we want to get things done. I one thing that one business philosophy that we have is every task has an owner and it's one person, not you, one person, right? And everyone knows who that person would be. And 
the thing is, if you cannot get done in time, someone needs to get done in time. And I tell my team, look, if you're busy because some of the part-time folks have school and whatever, let me know because I'll get it done. You see, but but that's and some once in a while uh, we drop the ball. Like we had one instance a few weeks ago, but but that's one way I like to at least keep the ball moving. We have the task, we have the honor, we have the deadline. If you get it, nice. If you don't get it, let me know. I'm gonna get it done. Someone is gonna get it done. You know. Um, so that's just one example that uh, one of the philosophies. You know. So as a guy that's created a business that wasn't there before. How have you been able to figure out where you want to go, right? Like, what is it that you want to do? Because I think that oftentimes people look at a business owner and they think, well, they always knew where they were going or they always knew what to do next. And so it was just the path was obvious to them. But if you actually go talk to people that own businesses, they have to continually figure out where are we going next? So how do you like cycle through this thinking? Yeah, Uh, there's a book by, uh, I want to say the... Michael, uh, what's his name? Michael Gladwell about, uh, it's called the drunkards walk and just the randomness uh, around being business and people talk about pivoting, you know, and, but, but that's one thing, right? Uh, You see what's working and you throw a lot of things on the wall, you see what's working and then you, you push on those that work and um, yeah, just feedback. And a huge one for me, Vince, uh, on that arena is, um, as far as when you have a, a, a business and you, again, we are we're trying to improve the product, but you haven't made $1 yet. Oh man, that's very common. It's terrible because you need to talk to the cus, uh, you know, customer or potential customer and, and get that, if, that verbal transaction. Would you buy this? Not your mom, someone that is not close to you, right? And would you buy this? <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't have to be your wife. She's gonna buy it, whatever you do, right? And um, and that's huge, you know. And 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 yeah, just uh, talking to potential and getting that feedbacking and and changing, you know, pricing structure and those kind of things, you know. What is it that you are selling right now? Uh, so yeah, I mean, the podcast is free. We do have sponsors there, and um, the web conference we have sponsors, and we sell the tickets. And then I have online training on, on soy nutrition as well. You know, those would be the most. We also do a few other things, like I told you. One is we manage some social media for some of the, the suppliers in the swine industry, um, Facebook ads and things like that. Well, we should talk about your conference because I do a lot of, uh, of talks and people invite me, whether physically or virtually, to do things um, all the time, but yours was extraordinary because when you re- approached me, you were like, Hey, I want you to do something really edgy. I want you to really push the mm-hmm. envelope. And normally when people say that, and I come back with like an edgy idea, they're uh-huh. like, yeah, we wanted it to be edgy, but we didn't want it to be that edgy. <laughs> That's funny. Oh man. You know, you opened the conference and I seriously, I was looking at that and I watched it again. And I was like, there wouldn't be a better way to open our conference, you know, uh, was great. Uh, you had the, the virtual reality avatar, uh, was just amazing. And uh, just the mental setup that you had for the folks in the conference was, was just great. Yeah. So for people that don't know, uh, 
Marcio set up this really interesting conference and he used a thing called, um, what was that thing called? The it had a duck on it. StreamYard. Yeah. StreamYard. And so it actually became like a production where the people that were going to go speak next uh, had like this back room and we could be communicating without being seen by other people. And then it was like, hey, you're up. And uh, and all of a sudden the camera was on me. And I decided to do mine from inside of virtual reality. So we figured out after doing a bunch of different um, test runs how people could actually see my avatar and live in this virtual world being projected through this um, this system, StreamYard. And, uh, and it was just like this very interesting way to run a conference. And for me, what that told me was, the guy that is willing to push the envelope and try out these systems that nobody else is doing, I mean, you really are up on the edge of chaos. So I, it's funny because I'm <laughs> sitting here talking with you and I'm like, Marcio is so quiet during this talk. But it, when we were doing this, you were like, go, 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 push, 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 push. Yeah, yeah that's true, man. It's true. And uh, yeah, I mean, one of the themes of the conference was, well, was speak production, chaos and innovation. I love innovation. I love technology. Um, I've been following like Tesla since 2013. I would talk to people, Elon Musk, people are like, what? Elon who? And I just love that kind of stuff, you know, and I just love technology and um, chaos is part of it, you know? So tell me about the conference because you had, it was several days and it seemed to go really, really well. Yeah, I went above my expectations. So it's two days uh, from like 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. was... I guess, okay, so we were scheduling this um, virtual event before COVID happened. So it lost a little bit of its thunder because now everything went online. At the time, I was like, wow, that sounds like an innovation, at least for the pig industry, not for other industries that already had some uh, online conferences. And that's something else that, that works a lot in business is uh, when you're wide open, looking outside of your industry, you can learn things and you can copy and paste, if you will, and and a lot of times people think it's innovation. It's like, no, it's not really innovation. It's just that I saw that in a different industry. But the key there, Vince, was the 80 minutes, right? Just a TED Talk format, not like death by PowerPoint type of presentation. And it turned out to be great. Um, I think, you know, people, people really uh, wanted that in our industry, you know. Yeah, with talks, like I think they're just like work. If it's always going to fill up exactly whatever vessel you give it, so people will take the same amount of content that they would have done in an 18 minute talk, only they'd spread it out over 45 minutes. And, uh, you know, we live in a world where uh, the, you're, you, you can pay attention to whatever you want, right? If you're watching a virtual conference, you are literally hooked up to the internet, meaning you can watch anything that you want. <laughs> And so yeah. it is incumbent on the presenter, but then also the person putting together the presentation. You must do things that keep people's attention because they have literally access to all of the other information all over the world at the exact same moment. And I thought, man, you really did a good job of pushing the envelope to make it so people wanted to pay attention. There, there was a value to being present. Yes. Yes. And we asked folks on the feedback, you know, if they got their, their money back, if you will, people are generally happy. And uh, one thing that worked very well for us is on that platform, again, was being able to change between me and the speaker very quickly, you know, just the smoothness worked out super well. And it's not like, you know, we had a similar conference in Brazil two weeks before when a different system 
and uh, was this Skype. And so speakers would come in and would um, would be um, they have to unmute themselves. Uh, lots of them forgot, you know. So that kind of stuff was was good, I think, overall, you know. Well, I have to say that that uh, it was worth it for me uh, to do that talk because. I now had a challenge, right? And I, I often say, like, if you get a new system, like a virtual reality system, you are not going to use it because if you put it on, there's so many things to do that you don't know what to do. And so to find new things to do becomes really difficult. So I'm always of the mindset of, I want to find a problem that I think I can solve, but I don't know how to. And mm-hmm. by you having that talk, it was like, okay, I'm going to do this thing in virtual reality. I think I can do it. I don't know how. Now I'm going to start practicing and I've got a goal. And I think that that's a really important thing to learn is yeah. finding a problem that you don't know how to solve it, but having a reason and a deadline to solve it pushes you forward. Because my ability to use my VR headset now went up by an order of magnitude because I was trying to solve the problem for your conference. Yes, and and it's tough, like you said, to find those type of uh, situation, right? And and force yourself into that. One thing I want to be doing the next several months is learning more about uh, software development and programming um, to create that type of challenge. I remember having that that ecstasy when it comes to um, solving those problems. Uh, one good example is when I was in grad school, we were doing a lot of SAS coding. It's like uh, statistics and those things. And we were pushing the envelope and we pu- published some papers and, and I had to go into this community. It's like, you know, down deep and uh, in the, and it's super cool feeling when you find that you are in the edge of science or, or even in that case from statistics. Uh, so super, super good feeling. Right. Yeah, it is. It's really fun to find, uh, to go and discover. My friend Kate calls it the click, right? Mm -hmm. Where you've been working on something, you're close, you're close, and then it clicks together. And there really is no other sensation. Maybe you could get it by taking drugs or something, but like Mm -hmm. it, 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 the sensation of like, ah, I figured it out and now I know. And then the craziest thing is then you open up into a new plane and you've got to find a new problem to go solve. But it's almost impossible to have clicks unless you're trying to solve a problem, even if it's created artificially. Yes, yes, it's it's quite a. What do you do to to keep um, keep expanding on that? Well, I'm always trying to push the envelope, and I think like so for me, my primary business is uh, people hire me to give talks, and it would be very easy for me to find a talk that people like. And then just go give it a hundred times. But at on some level, that's not that's not it's not just not gratifying to me. It becomes um, uh, almost a punishment, right? Because then I'm I've got a set of ideas, and now I'm locked into saying them, and I'm not on that edge of chaos. So for me, when I'm uh, doing um, p- proposing a talk, because people call me up and they say, "Hey, we have this conference, and we have this problem. What can we do?" I am always trying to push that thing as far as it will go uh-huh. and uh until you find somebody that's like okay okay we like the last idea but we don't like the next idea so can uh-huh. we back it up and uh-huh. that really helps me and i oftentimes propose talks that i don't even know how i will write them uh-huh. and and then i'm forced to confront it and say oh that's coming up i got to figure out how i'm going to explain that i got to start practicing i got to start doing this so for me it's getting somebody to agree to something 
that I have not yet all the way thought through, which is dangerous, right? It uh -huh. is dangerous. Uh -huh. Yes. I, th I guess uh, there's a law called the Parkinson's law, which is uh, time. Uh, the, well, the work is going to expand um, to the time that you allow it. Right. And if you, as you get closer, you get it done and it's all good. So tell me about, uh, you live in the U.S., you recently had a baby. How is your time management going now that you've got these new pressures on the way that you can construct your life and your business? Yeah, I can probably hear the baby. Uh, it's uh, it's been a joy, right? And uh, it's been a lot of work, uh, as you know, as well. Um, I'd say since I was home office and I do home office, and well, most people are on a lot of people are home office at this time, right? Um, so the situation was that my, I mean, my productivity went down, I don't know, um, less than half. And, uh, oh man, that makes me feel so much better to hear you say that. Oh my God, you have no idea <laughs> because I'm like losing my mind with, uh, uh how uh -huh. little productivity I'm like, I, I won't succeed. I'm going to fail. Nobody told me how difficult this is going to be. So to hear you say that, I, not that I want you to suffer, uh -huh. but it does make me feel better. Yes. How old is yours now? Uh, now it's uh, 11 weeks. Okay. Yeah. And it's so funny. Uh, the first few weeks, it's like, oh, this baby's so calm. And then things go south very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, for when it comes to managing, it's, it's just tough, you know, as you know. And um, But again, it comes back to prior, prioritization and boy, we're going to have the last, I mean, the last 12 months for us being great and it's been the best year yet. Um, so you start thinking, well, you know, we need to, uh, I guess we need to continue just to prioritize and, and keep pushing, you know. Yeah, I have found that um, like we have finally figured out a schedule and that mm -hmm. schedule, as long as baby goes along with it, um, really, really helps me. And it's a level of discipline that's hard for somebody because I, I kind of consider myself a creative. So I like having lots of time and be creative. Yeah. But that schedule has forced me into saying like, now I've got to work on this challenge. Now I've got to do this one. And now this is time for baby. And one of the things that I did um, cause my, I'm, I, I run a network called the articulate ventures network and inside of there, we were doing a, we have been doing a sober October. And uh -huh. one of the things that I decided to do was to give up using my phone from 6 PM to 9 PM. I love it. Okay. It was Six, such nine. a transformative experience for me because I did not realize that by dividing my time between whatever I was doing for the family, whether it's cooking or spending time with baby and the cell phone, I, neither one was getting more than 50%. There was some loss uh, in the switching between the two. And I, I don't think I'll ever go back. I think I will always try and keep that six to nine break because it's been so good for me and my family. I love it. Six to nine. So you do get after nine a little bit. Yeah. And then that, because six means, hey, I'm up there cooking and I'm, I'm participating in dinner and, and making all that happen. And then you put baby to bed. But if I get baby put to bed before nine, I say, okay, well, I should probably be cleaning up or I could be reading or I could be doing these other uh -huh. things. And it really has been um, as I, like the more discipline I put to it, the more value I draw out of it. I love it. One that I've done that is working for me is the, I removed the email app from the phone. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Cause then 
because we get so we are slaves of email and email is nothing more than the most important task of someone else uh it's like oh man so i'm checking email now once a day takes takes me about two hours you know it's about 150 emails a day by the time you got all the newsletters and everything else um and uh it's been good i like it a lot Speaking of newsletters, I am uh, religious about once a week I go through anytime I get a newsletter that I didn't sign up for or something has subscribed to me that yeah. I don't want. Yeah. I go through and then unsubscribe on every single one of them. And it yeah. has saved me so much time and chaos in my inbox that by having that little bit of discipline it takes maybe 10 minutes at the most to go through and unsubscribe. But it's kept, you know, hundreds of thousands of emails out of my inbox. Yes, I do the same. Uh, yeah, I do the same. I do. I do on the spot. Uh, you know, unsubscribe. There's some some apps that you can do that help a little bit, but yeah, email is, is a big one, man. Man, that's a good idea. I, I um, I feel like email is the same temptation as Twitter, because I think that the reason that that Twitter becomes so addictive is that somebody you put something out into the world and you're like oh somebody responded to me Ooh, that that feels good like uh, even if it's a negative response you're still getting that like that brain you know dose of dopamine or whatever that says oh somebody's paying attention to me and email yeah. feels the same way but you're right email is almost always the highest priority that somebody else has that's not necessarily anything to do with mine yes um i read somewhere a few days ago something about that email is mail not a chat service you know so hey once a day and then on my on my sing, um, signature now have like hey if it's urgent text or call um that's and man it's never urgent it's like once or twice a year you have something that's actually urgent so it's like man we always got scared you know oh it's gonna i'm gonna miss something oh my gosh yeah, that was my big complaint when I was first putting the phone down. I'm like, what happens if somebody needs me between 6 and 9 p.m.? And I'm like, wait a second. Really, there's only two people, my wife and my daughter, that really, really need me between those two times. And they're right here. So it's all solved. But we do have that, like, um, it's almost an ego thing of like, well, I need to be available when, you, at least for me, I don't. I'm, I'm not that important. Right. Uh, I think a lot of folks, in, and then you start talking about um, if you work for a large company, that, that's tough because then now you are, you need to be competing, quote unquote, with the other folks that are available all the time and that stuff. But when you start selling your own rules, it, make, it gets a little better. Um, but, but also educating the folks around you that you talk the most uh, on your ways of communicating. In my case, it's like, hey, with my team, it's like, hey, if it's urgent, call me. Um, you know, that's it. Yeah. I mean, that the, the idea of going from um, six to nine came from a guy named Jared Holst. And I remember hearing that he just didn't take calls between that time and me being like, wow, imagine <laughs> being the type of person that doesn't take calls or doesn't, you know, respond to anything from six to nine. <laughs> and then one day it hit me. It was like, hey, you could do that. You just haven't chosen to do it. And it instantly was uh, one of those things that I was like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever done for myself. And I really want to know what are other things that you could do that would have that big of an impact? Because I know they're just sitting out there waiting for me to discover them. 
right? And that's funny enough. That's one era. This whole era about personal productivity, I love it, man. I'm so addicted to it. I, I, I have some future plans for it when it comes to creating this literal community just focused on this topic that we're talking about. I love that. And for me, I mean, you probably watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, I recommend, right? We recommend that a lot to people, I think. And turning off the notifications. I did that a few year, year or two ago now. Oh my gosh. You just, oh, I love that. I have a really strong um, repulsion against uh, sounds that try and grab my attention. So I have no sounds on my phone. My phone never rings. Yep, same. Um, and then I also, uh, you know, if I have a microwave, I, I figure out a way to turn that sound off. I want no electronic sounds trying to grab my attention because my hypothesis is your attention is the most valuable thing you own because it's yeah. the it's your bandwidth for for changing the world and so if you allow these things to grab your attention yeah. you're giving away the most valuable thing you have more valuable than money because it's the present moment and uh so I also gave up Twitter for for sober October and that was nice. good I had no idea how much of my attention I was just handing over to that system yes i need to yeah i i found myself getting too often on even though it's i think it's less than average but still it's um more than i want on instagram linkedin and facebook now that i i don't have the email on the app on the on the cell phone it's like you know it's you just go looking for something else for sure just addictive right and i've tried to um you know when you can screen time screen time i guess you, you can block those and it works okay, but yeah, you, you always allow more time, which is ridiculous. And also when you actually need it, let's say if you're doing a f- Instagram live or whatever you're doing, then the thing shuts on yourself. It's not, that's not good. So what do you simple. think of Instagram? Instagram is huge in South America and not as huge in North America. Um, I like it. I think it's a little younger generation than, um, than Facebook. When I say I like it, I like it as a, again, I try to produce more content than I actually consume on, on those social media. And I think you and I talked about, uh, about that. Um, so as a, as a media, I, I, I think it's, it's fine. I don't use Facebook a lot. Twitter, I don't use a lot, uh, but we, we do publish on those as well. Uh, when it comes to social media, I guess Instagram is probably the one that I use and then uh, LinkedIn a little bit as well. Instagram, I'm like hyper wary of because it's this it's allowing you to have this visual um yeah you know oh, like yeah. uh and and so it and like the fact that the way that instagram works is that it just keeps showing you the things that get you to stop oh. scrolling so of course like a beautiful woman i'm gonna slow down or like <laughs> something chaotic i'm gonna slow down and then all of a sudden before i know it I have an exploration feed that is just like, uh, you know, exactly the things that visually would draw my attention in. And yet I get nothing back for it. It's not like I it's not like I'm admiring a Monet and and it's making me think more deeply about it. It's just one of those things where you're like getting mesmerized by it. Yes, that's that's exactly right. It's addictive. And again, that's why that Netflix deal is good, because it shows you the all the guys behind it and they are scared of, of it and agree i mean it is addictive and something probably should stop looking at i try yeah i try to be selective too i mean try to follow the people that are putting some good content that i learn from some ideas when it comes to digital marketing or whatever else but it's always tough it's a tough one 
You know, it's interesting to think about uh, the people that put out content because I find that there are people that I need at certain times in my life and then you kind of move past it. And mm -hmm. it's a weird thing about, uh, you know, the YouTube uh, people of the world. They're, they're, I talked about that guy, Wes Watson. I really, really liked what he was doing because he was like yelling at you that you needed to get down and do your burpees and get that workout in. And But mm -hmm. then I got to a point where I had transcended that. I didn't need a guy yelling at me. And I would say the same thing about somebody like David Goggins or mm -hmm. Jocko or Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And so we kind of have this, you know, we, we get a chance to understand their point of view. Mm -hmm. You move past it and you keep going. But it makes the world feel... Um, yeah, transient in in a, in a in a deep way. In particular, for a guy that's trying to create content, how do you avoid becoming the the person, the wave that people will crash over and then keep moving on from? Yeah, that's a great one. I have I never thought about that. Um, yeah, just our goal when it comes to content is to pr try to get the best content we can. But it's yeah, it's a tough one, right? When as you said, I think people evolve. You know. And it's something interesting that you said. You, you mentioned a few names that that I like, and I've either followed as well, like um, Jordan Peterson and others. And super cool. I love to have these fake mentors that you can learn from, and uh, you are best friends with them. They don't know you. You know, it's it's. I love it. And sometimes people don't give value to it. For example, if for you to give to have a one-on-one -on -one call with a guy that you like it a lot let's call elon musk i like elon musk a lot so if i could have a one-on-one -on -one call with him i'd sit and i learn and i'd take notes right but just because it's free and available on youtube you don't you're not very interested on that well you, you know? and i have a similarity right like uh you reached out to me after finding me on youtube but like jordan peterson he's not a fake mentor to me i flew up to toronto and went and met what? him before he became no. a big huge deal and i would say when I find somebody on social media that I think is doing something interesting, mm -hmm. I say, hey, they are trying to create a gravity well. Their goal, maybe it's to have, you know, fame and fortune, or maybe it's just that they want to be, they want to encounter somebody that they couldn't encounter just by going and looking on their own. So I have always had that mentality and it has netted me um, really strong friendships with interesting people because I try not to allow my mind to put them on a pedestal mm -hmm. and instead say, this person wants me to reach out to them because I have something to say that they're going to find interesting, just in the same way that you reached out to me. Yeah, yeah. I love that you met uh, Jordan Peterson. I mean, he is a bright guy, uh, not well understood as well, right? Um, that's cool. And and going after, right, I think Tim Ferriss talked about in in his one of his books and, and also when he gave some class on Princeton, Princeton. He he says that, yeah, go go after some famous people, and you're gonna be surprised. Yeah, and it's interesting that I find that most famous people they don't really want the sheen of being famous. Yeah. yeah. So there's a guy named uh, Matt Ridley who's Lord Ridley. He's a member of the House of Lords. He's written these books on evolution and capitalism. Cool. He's a fascinating guy, and I had a chance to go and meet him. And the the sense of treating him with reverence, like he kind of yeah. like rebuked yeah. me. Like he was yeah. a little bit like, hey, man, let's just have a regular conversation yeah. as opposed to you putting me on a pedestal. And I had to be like, yeah, but you're Lord Ridley. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he's a regular guy that would rather be thought, I think, would rather be thought of as a guy that's 
putting things out into the world, getting things done, wanting to talk about ideas rather than being revered. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's that's the ultimate goal, you know. And, and when it comes back to, to to the business we are running and other things, our goal is just to create positive impact. That's we're really addicted addicted to that, you know. Helping if we can help people, we love that. That's really what drives us, you know. That's really. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about um, small businesses. One of the challenges that they have and is that there's not very high to go, right? A corporation has this constant like banana that they can hold out in front of people being like, then you could move up to manager, you know, B section, subsection 12, 16, and then you can go up a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And eventually, if you do this for 30 years, you'll be up the, at the high level. But small businesses don't have that. And so you have to find a way to motivate people in a way that isn't like uh, luring them up the stairwell. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think what we try to do. I mean, I don't know if you have the recipe, but I mean, we just try to have the vision and uh, try to create a good environment, you know, and, and uh, we do small things like every quarter. Uh, hey, uh, you get, you can get some, uh, what do you do? We can get some, uh, delivery you get some delivery food here or uh, up to x and then we you know just small things we try just to keep a good environment almost a family environment if you will and our business all remote and most of the i mean half of my team i never met them in my life you know and i had a business partner a few years ago that we had a business for two years and we never we went a business and even we broke up after that and we never met each other crazy Wow, you really are living in a digital uh, in yeah. a digital world. Yeah, I I think that the biggest positive that small businesses have is that you can do things that don't require you to make it equitable across eight hundred people. Right? It's it's one thing to to start a program to try and reward people when you have four or five or ten. But when you start getting out into the larger numbers, then all of a sudden trying to do it, the same thing for everybody doesn't work or you have people feeling like that's not equitable or I, I, you know, it's just becomes so complicated. So the benefits of being small, if you can lever those up, are, are, uh, are only limited by your uh, creativity. Yes, it, it definitely benefits. And one of the negatives is uh, I was doing that last evening uh, as we're going to hire this new person, just creating the, we call accountability chart. It's like our org chart, but has the tasks. And just going through that, I was like, my gosh, it seems simple, but boy, to get, to make it clear, it's tough. It's tough. You know, I was like, wow, how, how those companies with 10,000 people do. And, and what I found when I work for some large companies that they, they actually don't do it. They don't have an accountability. It's very informal, which is the weirdest thing to think about. Yeah, but that's because corporations like one of the things that people don't realize, I believe very deeply in the in the uh, prices law that that uh, half of the work is done by the square root of the number of workers. So if you have okay. 100 workers, 10 of them are doing 50 percent of the work. And as you get larger and larger and larger as a corporation, because you have more and more responsibilities, you you genuinely have people in those offices that do virtually nothing all day you know they've got some process or some thing that they've got to to fulfill uh -huh. but they're just not getting it done and yeah. the the challenge is if you go in and try and hack those things out you're you know you're you are going to hit some of the most productive ones and so then your productivity goes 
way down. So yeah. I, I think it's an undefeatable um, law of nature. I love that. I, I was not aware of that. One thing that we just implemented is to create a pipeline of potential people. So now we have a pipeline, you know, it's going to add and then fill a form, get an automatic email. Hey, you need to do this, this, and that. And it's super cool. When you are recruiting people, people need to send up to one minute video saying why we should hire them. And also a personality test by tomorrow, 6 p.m. Central time. So, so with these three things, we already know if they are going to be detail-oriented and get it done in time within the right instructions. So I love, I just love that. Oh, that is good. You know, and corporations are really held back by, um, by HR laws, right? You get to a certain size and the government starts regulating your, your rules. And True. one of the things that they do is they start saying, you're not allowed to test XYZ. You're not allowed to... So they standardize the conversations. Yeah. And so you don't get to hand select people because corporations are trying to avoid lawsuits. But yeah. that's what also makes a small business, I think, more fun to work in because you get to hand select people based on um, what makes them novel and interesting and, and a part of the team. Yeah. And then some of these folks would be almost also as a, either a virtual assistant or a contractor and and uh, um, often also overseas, you know, so it's... Um, you know, and, and it gets gray area when it comes to law and those things when it dealing with different countries and things. But but yeah, I have a uh, an editor for the podcast. He's has uh, been great. He's really helped me out a lot. And the other day, he wrote me and basically said, "Hey, I have everything done, and I'm getting faster than what I used to be. So, is there anything else I could do to make this thing better?" Oh, I and I was it. like man, uh, what can I do to celebrate you more? Like you, uh -huh. that is the greatest thing that could ever happen. And it's yeah. something so simple that you wish you could tell young people or people that you're working with, like follow this model, get, get like, just keep taking on responsibilities because we will reward this to the end of days because yeah. it's so rare. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, meritocracy and, um, one thing that I always had in mind when I was in school and, and, and different things and even working, it's like, as long as you do better, it seems like a foolish thought, but for me has worked, which is um, as long as you are doing better than average or doing the basic things, like whatever, get on time, get it done. Tell, you said it's going to send something, you send something. Just that, it's it served me a lot as well, man. Yeah, it it is interesting how just just showing up and getting things done makes you makes you rare. And I I find in either running a business or in uh, in just working with people, you know, going on a retreat or something, the people that are the hardest for me to deal with, and I think it's a part of their personality, are the ones that just stand there and wait for somebody to tell them what to do. Uh -huh. I would much rather be like, hey, hey, don't do that. Like, come back over here. You know, I don't want those vegetables chopped in that way. Uh -huh. Then I would be to be like, hey, guys, standing there just waiting for somebody else to tell them what to do. And I think that came from a lesson that I got when I was in high school. I had a, um, a boss that basically said, any time you don't know what to do, there are always nails on the ground. It was at a construction company. So be picking wow. up nails. And then that's when you learn, like, if I'm on the if I'm on the the clock, I am always to be working. There's no benefit to me not knowing what to do next because that means I get to take a break because I'm always working. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's good to learn like what type of uh, 
personalities sometimes or not personalities but behaviors that we don't like for me one is that for folks that don't um, reply like terrible in communication re either reply back could be email but but also messages or whatever i'm like wow i'm i'm glad i get to pick who i work with because i it's just a waste of time you know yeah that's interesting and i oftentimes wait to reply because i'm like ah i don't have time to think through this answer but if I use it and actually sit down, I'm like, okay, I actually should figure out what it, why it is that I'm not willing to answer this question or what mm -hmm. it is that I need to find out. Because right. oftentimes it's procrastination comes when the path isn't clear to me. Exactly right. Yes. And something that I've been doing when I get some of those emails that are either tough to answer or whatever else, I, I have this little um, shortcut that, that says uh, received and I'll get back to, you, you know, uh, and I try to use that sometimes when I know that I'm gonna take you know a few a few days. Um, something else, Vince, that 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 I love a lot about business and talking about small business, but but even large ones is the the whole thing around progress, not perfection, or or even something that Amazon has as as its one of its values, which is um, bias for action, and. Um, like you said, just just get it, do it, and do it. And because a lot of times, and I talk to my wife a lot about that, and we get paralyzed because we want to be perfect and we want the the universe to align. It's like, man, I think that that holds a lot of people back. I like that that bias towards action. I mean, that's that's precisely my philosophy. And I think that if you're trying to run a business or you're trying to be a part of a small group of people that are doing something. Like taking action and then correcting where it didn't quite go well is so much more valuable than waiting around for somebody to tell you what to do or waiting around for the path to become clear. Now, that's not to say you should just like always be in action. That was one of the hardest things for me was to say, if I take 15 minutes or 20 minutes to think about what I'm going to do today without like automatically, you know, because sometimes you go to write your to-do list down and as soon as you write it down, you're like, well, I'll just go do that right now. Uh -huh. When I stopped myself from that temptation and actually write it all the way out and then start planning how I'm going to attack those, I get 10 times more done than when I'm like, okay, this is the next thought I have. I've got to go accomplish that thing. Yeah. Super hard. It's a hard one. Yeah. Just to add to the list. And sometimes mistake that I do very often, I add to my calendar, and which is good. I add some things to the calendar on, on a time slot, that's a good thing. But sometimes I add things that would be more of a midterm or not as important right now. And then I got overwhelmed, you know. Well, man, this was a really fun conversation. I had no idea where a conversation with a swine veterinarian from Brazil that's running a podcasting company would uh, would work out. But it turned out this is a really fun conversation about productivity and running a business. And so thanks, man, for showing up appreciate. today. Yeah, I appreciate the invites. It's an honor and I uh, really appreciate you being uh, the, the, the first ever speaker, speaker in our conference. So that is great. <laughs> If people wanted to learn more about your company or uh, follow you on on uh, social media, how would they do that? Uh, it's uh, the website is swineit.com. Like if you Google it, it's swine like pigs. Swineit.com. Uh, social media will be swineit podcast. Great. Well, thank you so much for showing up today, and we'll talk with you later. Thanks so much, Vance.